I'm Ben Easter, and you're listening to the Shift to Freedom podcast, the podcast that gives you the mindsets, strategies, tips, and tricks to live your freedom and love your life. If you're here, I suspect that you have a total badass inside you, but chances are that you haven't let it play full out yet. Maybe you've been told not to, that it's too much, maybe you've been worried about what other people will think, or maybe you just haven't made the space to shine. If any of that sounds familiar, you've come to the right place. Each week, my co-hosts and I will be exposing the lies that keep that badass chained and, more importantly, sharing the tools to help you break free and share that most authentic you with the world. So, if you want more freedom, possibility, or courage, then I'd invite you to take a deep breath, get curious, and listen carefully for your shift to freedom. Welcome back to the Shift to Freedom podcast. I'm Ben Easter. I'm here with my lovely wife, Paige Easter. And today we're doing another Disney deep dive, exploring the metaphors and the meanings behind today, The Little Mermaid. And I'm so excited to have this conversation with you, Paige. Yeah, me too. Little Mermaid was my very favorite growing up. So I'm super excited to get into this story. It was one of my very favorites too. I, I had Aladdin and I had The Little Mermaid and only a couple of other Disney movies when I was growing up. So I uh, this was one of the ones I knew all the words to and knew all the songs, uh, except for Poor Unfortunate Souls. I never learned all the all the words of that one. But uh, anyway, so we're, we'll go through the the uh, telling of the story. A quick synopsis: If you've been living under a rock or you just haven't seen the movie in a while. Um, and then we'll talk through some of the symbols and the metaphors and the meanings and what we can learn about uh, our journeys as humans, as entrepreneurs from the story of The Little Mermaid. Um, all right. So the story starts out. Ariel is uh, exploring shipwrecks. She's looking for human stuff. She's just like in love with humanity and everything that humans represent. Although she's supposed to be performing at the palace, it's her debut, and she's missing from her debut party, uh, which King Triton is not very happy about. He sort of flies into a rage about it. He's so upset with her, so disappointed in her. And then he sends Sebastian Seba- becomes her warden. Yeah, he sends Sebastian out to be her her warden. Um, and, like, just keep track of her, make sure that she's doing what she's supposed to be doing. And Sebastian shortly finds out that she keeps exploring shipwrecks, that she has this treasure trove of human artifacts. Uh, Look at this stuff. Isn't it neat? And Sebastian does not, in fact, think that it's neat. And so he freaks out. He keeps trying to put, you know, constraints on her. That's that's a big theme of, I think, The Little Mermaid, is these constraints. Um, Ultimately... He he blabs and he tells about this underground treasure trove to well because to Ariel finds she finds Eric she sees Eric he's on the ship she oh, goes to the surface right. falls in love with Eric and then she's dancing around the palace and King Trident she like, saves him she sa- yeah, oh, yeah. she, she saves, saves Eric from the shipwreck yeah which is important that'll come back later because he hears her singing and um, anyway so then he Sebastian is. <laughs> He, he misunderstands and he blabs. And so King Triton flies into this rage. He goes and he destroys everything, all of her artifacts, everything that she's collected over the years, and especially the big statue of Eric that she has. So then um, she's distraught. She's just so sad because all she wanted was she was in love with this guy. She's like, you know, youthfully infatuate, infatuated with him. And so then, meanwhile, Queen Ursula who has been rejected, cast out of the kingdom. Um, the Sorry, the sea witch, Ursula, has been cast out of the, of the kingdom. And um, she's 
contriving. She she's you know wanting to get back at King Triton somehow, and so she's had her little eels following around Ariel. They come and try to convince Ariel to go talk to the Sea Witch because she can help. She can help you to make your love real with Eric. She, that's what she does. And then Ariel goes and has the conversation with the Sea Witch, who convinces her to make a deal with the devil and trades her voice for the power to walk on dry land. But on the condition that she gets, she has three days to try to convince Eric to fall in love with her, which would be proven by true love's kiss. Not just any old kiss and not just any old love. It has to be a kiss of true love. She goes to the thing, has this whirlwind romance. She's so, uh, they have so much fun together. They're playing. They kiss the girl in the lagoon. And just about when they're ready to have the kiss, Ursula sabotages them. Did I miss any other super relevant things in that, Paigey? That's pretty good. Okay. Yeah, and then um, she's distraught, but she still has one more day, and Ursula realizes that this, it's it's going really well for her and that she's got to intervene, so she, she transforms into someone that looks just like Ariel, but uses Ariel's voice as that person's voice, and it captures his attention. It, he becomes bewitched with her, decides to marry her that same day on a ship. They sail out to sunset. This is the last day. The sun is setting on their wedding cruise, and Ariel goes and does her best to stop the wedding. She recruits... It's Scuttle goes and recruits... We haven't mentioned Scuttle, but he's a lovable... Seagull. <laughs> doddering seagull, yeah. Anyway, he goes and recruits an army of people... Uh, of other sea creatures to go and stop the wedding. They do just in time they stop the wedding... She gets her voice back. They see that the love is real. The spell is broken for Eric. And just as about as they're about to kiss, the sun finishes setting. And sadly, she loses. So she goes becomes a poor, unfortunate soul. That was all part of Ursula's ultimate plan anyway because she really just wanted to trade Ariel for King Triton, and which she does. And then she has all the power of King Triton, the might of the, the seas, and becomes this huge monster. And... Actually, what what happens? She with that? stirs up. <laughs> she stirs up a big like typhoon in the water, mm-hmm. and then Eric sails the front of the ship, which has broken into like a jagged oh, right. log, and sails the ship right into Ursula and kills her, and then happily yeah, ever after kills her, and then that breaks all the all the spells. It releases all the poor unfortunate souls. King Triton comes back, and even though he knows that he's going to lose his daughter forever, I'm going to cry. <laughs> uh, even though he, lo- he knows he's going to lose his daughter forever, he grants her her wish and gives her her legs and blesses her and Eric <laughs> to live happily ever after. <sighs> such a good story. It's such a good story. We cried. We cried watching it. We were watching it, and we were both like, we got some tears out. Yeah, love. Always, I wonder if I wonder always. if that's just us or if everybody cries during during Disney movies. Uh, I don't know. Uh, you'll have to let us know in the DMs. But anyway, so let's talk about some of what's going on in this um, major themes. Well, I well, think I'd love to start off with just the the theme of like this tension between the tight fisted rules that are meant to keep us safe versus the kind of freedom. And I think that we've mentioned the. King Trident and um, Ariel, the tension between the two of them we've mentioned in another podcast, which is why I wanted to go over this story today to like really dig into like what is the like stickiness of that story, like that aspect of the story. 
Yeah, because, yeah, because again, we're looking at these movies because something about them lasts and stands the test of time. And that means that something about them really speaks to a deep level of what's going on for us, we humans. So this tension between the, the powerful ruler who rules with an iron fist. I mean, you know, the, the story opens and he has this great palace, but really... You know, he loves his daughters as long as they do exactly what he says and are exactly where he says, when he says. Um, and when they don't do that, he flies into a rage and that's when he is, like, destructive. That's I think that's the fundamental tension is that, you know, there's laws that exist in the land and they exist so that they keep us all safe. Right? That's the, the, the ultimate purpose of laws of the land. And so that's, like, the, the hero's call to adventure. In this case, Ariel... So representative of this, uh, what would you say? She's free. She, I would say free as a bird, but she's free as a fish. She's very exploratory. She's super courageous. She's out like in shark infested waters, you know, um, braving the unknown. And that's exactly what King Triton does not want her to do. That's exactly what this like strict legal rule doesn't want her to be doing is expressing herself individually because it's dangerous and exploring the unknown because it's dangerous. It's all, for, you know, it's all, he loves her. That's what it's all about, right? Um, meanwhile, she can't be caged. And that's, that what, that's what inevitably leads to the rising action, right? Totally. I'm thinking about this in terms of also in an individual. So I think it comes up with our clients sometimes where they will kind of have some outdated software of like, you know, we learn as kids, like, don't talk to strangers, because mm. as a as a child, the implications of talking to strangers are like kind of dangerous, um, and then we grow up and become adults, and then the, not talking to strangers is actually really counterproductive for somebody who wants to have a sense of contribution in the world, or start a business, or become an entrepreneur, right? Yeah, and so totally. I think about like King Triton, Triton has these kind of rules, and he's continuing to impose them. Because so far, safety keeps happening. And I think that the same thing happens in our brain. And our brains are like, no, this is how we do things. We do things. Because, and look, we haven't died yet. So it's working. So don't change. And I think that yeah. especially like when we're trying to develop new habits or we're at the beginning of a new adventure, something akin to Ariel going out and finding true love and exploring the world, um, I think that we inherently feel a sense of kind of resistance against that because we have created these systems or like these patterns in our own psyche that have continued to keep us safe and I see like new entrepreneurs do this where they're like but I don't know uh, like why do I feel so uncomfortable as I'm about to take this leap to faith into this new adventure mm, totally and I, I also like this because you, you see this model in several different layers of our individual life. So yeah, we're seeing it at the law, at the legalistic society level. We're seeing it at the individual level. We're actually, I mean, you know, this parent-child tension, this is a, an essential tension that happens in all of our lives, is that we come into the world as sort of this wild beast that in some ways, like, needs to be tamed in order to yeah. exist in society, right? Like, children are just like, ah, they're throwing fits and they're like little, little monsters. And we help and culture them. And that is to, to kind of take the rules of the parent and take the rules of society and, you know, mold the child to conform to those. And that is for the sake of safety and 
ultimately setting the child up for success in the world, right? And at the same time, it, it, it does necessitate a kind of um, a superimposing of society's values or mm-hmm. of the rule of law or of the parental rules onto the individual that is the child and the individual then becomes subsumed by those, mm-hmm. right? And so then what we see in like a coming of age tension is the child starts to push against those and says, well, no, I mean, I want to be my own person. I want to make my own decisions. I want to go and try things out and, and risk things, right? And the parent, and this is like the tension because ultimately it's it's kind of like a death of the relationship of the parent and the child when the child becomes an individual, which was ultimately the whole goal all along. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I think then, that we I think that we really see that clearly in the story where Sebastian's like, okay, I'm gonna this is terrible. You've made this deal with the Queen Ursa with the sea witch, I'm gonna go get your dad and we're gonna fix everything and you can just come back and live under the sea with all the other fishes and he's like telling her how it's gonna be, watching her face gradually like get more and more sad and then he just looks at her and he's like, And then you'll be miserable for the rest of your life. And he's like, okay, I'm going to help you get your prince. (laughs) And so she, as like, she, what I love about her character is she actually inspires all these other people into like supporting her. Like she has such a dedicated vision. Like you asked me last night, like what kind of entrepreneur is Ariel? And I was like, she's a risk it for the biscuit kind of girl. Like she literally puts everything on the line and, like, enrolls all these people to support her. And it's just such a good model for success as an entrepreneur for me. Totally. I, I love that that you said that, too, because, you know, one of the concepts that we talk about a lot is radical commitment. And I think Ariel is just the embodiment of radical commitment. She has something that she loves so much. Human, it starts with humanity, but ultimately it becomes Eric. And she loves it so much that she's literally willing to push all of her chips in to the table because she's got three days to make this thing work and she's going to give up her greatest tool, her, her most powerful asset, which is her voice. We'll come back to that in just a minute. But she does that and while she's making the risk under time pressure to do this thing. And, you know, like risk it for the biscuit. Like I love that. I love that way of putting it. But she ultimately is like taking the greatest entrepreneurial leap, right, is like my my – because she then what's she risking? She's going to become a poor, unfortunate soul. One of these like wilted, like seaweed, pathetic things that Ursula keeps around as part of her collection. That's what's on the line for her. Like she either gets all of her dreams or she fails and she becomes a poor, unfortunate soul. Literally a deal with the devil, right? She loses her soul. Um, yeah, so, really interesting. I was just thinking about... Sometimes as people are starting businesses or creating new things, I wonder if this kind of dichotomy between like it's all going to work out on one hand or it's all going to be terrible. And maybe that's like a mischaracterization of what the reality of creating a business actually is. Tell me more. Well, I was so I was just thinking about like, okay, if me as an entrepreneur, I'm at the beginning of maybe starting a business and if I step into the reality of Ariel for example where like she puts everything on the line and like radically commits doesn't even second guess and then if I step into those shoes am I then stepping into a reality where I'm also like putting everything on the line and how how realistic really is that it and like might I be discouraged as an entrepreneur to step into that if I'm believing that it's like either it's all going to work out amazing or it's going to all like be terrible doom and failure. 
Mm. Well, that's what I love about these like archetypes. The you know the Aladdin archetype and the and the Ariel archetype and the Tramp archetype, where we have different ways of going about facing the the risk that is inherent in starting a business or doing some entrepreneurial endeavor or going out into and facing the unknown. And there's different ways of doing it. And whereas like Aladdin was teaching us, you know, to eyes on the prize and to stay focused and not let distractions take you away, right? Ariel's message is that another way to do this is to just go all in, literally put your life on the line, burn the bridge behind you, mm. right? T- cut off your retreat and go for it. Right now she does that. I mean, she, she has this kind of inherent, um, willful belief in herself. Mm -hmm. That's one of the things that kind of Ariel comes to the table with, Mm -hmm. which uh, we saw in Aladdin. He did not have that. Yeah. So that wasn't something maybe that was even available to him in that way. He trusted himself to do certain things, but when it came right down to it, he had a core insecurity that he was going over. Whereas Ariel, she doesn't have that. She fully believes in herself to be able to do it. Like, yeah, to be able to get Eric. She just needs her chance. She just got, just got to get in the ring. Right. Yeah. I think that also what is playing a role in her success is her just, she doesn't really spend a lot of time thinking about the worst case scenario and just kind of walks into this thing, assuming that it's all going to work out. And I'm just, I'm reminded of, you know how my dad is. Like, he just kind of goes into the world. Assuming the assuming that everything is going to work out fine. And it somehow magically does. Yeah. <laughs> he scraps it together somehow. Um, so let, let's talk about, because I want to talk about, I want to spend some time on the voice thing. Because I think this is really a, an important thing. This was like, when I realized it, when we were watching the movie last night, which it's been a long time since I, I watched this movie, um, with my full mind. And I... Uh, and I, I realized this thing that she, so she goes up to the shore. She literally leaves behind her voice. So I think that's really important part of the story for her because for everyone is always talking about her voice. The way they introduce her at her debut when she's not there is her voice is like a bell. She's our sister. So it's all, it's always about her voice. Every, everybody like talks about her voice. Sebastian's mentioned it. King Triton's mentioned it. It's like her defining characteristic is her voice. Okay, and so then she, A, I think it's really interesting that the tension here is that she has to give up her voice in order to go try, okay, which at first I was like, gosh, that's like a really cruel thing for Ursula to do, right? Not only does it make it very difficult, obviously, if she can't express herself, but for her to have to give up her voice, which is essentially what she's fighting against in the first place, right, was that Triton doesn't want her to have a autonomy some way to speak for herself in the world he wants her to do what she's supposed to do when she's supposed to do it and so she has to give up her voice and i was like oh man what a cruel thing but now the the flip side of this that i thought was just so beautiful in this is that she goes up to to meet with eric and now if he falls in love with her the one thing that she can be sure it wasn't about was her voice that one singular defining characteristic and we you know like because the idea is like, would would you, what we're overcoming is like, would you love my identical twin exactly as much as me if she showed up? Because what a lot of people are dealing with is like looks is one of the ways or money is one of the ways or whatever your kind of personal power is to think that like you only got there because of that, because of some luck of the draw, right? And not because of who you are. 
I think it's a, a challenge that people deal with. I mean, this is like one of the reasons why imposter syndrome shows up is because we wonder if we actually earned where we got. So I just thought that was such an interesting twist on the story is that she she goes and she faces this thing and does it like she can only use all the other things that she has that aren't that one defining characteristic. It is also interesting that we the voice symbolically, the voice is like our ability to speak up for ourselves too. So that's like a really interesting tension here too. I mean, that seems to be kind of Ariel's fundamental narrative arc. Her fundamental kind of challenge in the world is that she wants to be able to speak her mind. She wants to be able to live her life. And so I think it's interesting symbolically that that's the the piece that happens. Also the, the part where I think it's so cool that how she gets her voice back is because Scuttle rallies all of the the birds and the frogs and the turtles and everybody comes and attacks the the wedding crews and attacks Ursula. Yeah. Right. And that's what ultimately like breaks the necklace and causes it to fall on the ground. Yeah. What I love about that scene is when they realize that it's Ursula that's trying to marry Eric as they snap into action and Sebastian, who's this conductor. He's like, okay, Scuttle, your job is, like, go distract. Flounder, your job is, like, take Ariel to that boat. I'm going to go get King Trident. And he's, like, he's a great example of, like, who, not how. Of, like, who oh, do cool. I enroll? Who gets what job? And his specialty is, like, out, like delegating that work out. So everybody is, like, He's out. a conductor, yeah. Exactly. And I thought that that was so cool. Yeah, it's so cool. Everybody like pitching in and and using their skills. It's it's a really cool scene. Yeah, and it ultimately results in in the win for them, right? Because she needs to get her voice back in order to break Eric's spell. Mm-hmm. Oh, which we which we didn't mention yet. I'm interested to hear your thoughts on this with him. Uh, you know, because he's looking the whole story while they're like falling in love. Eric is like, but this one woman and her voice out there. Yeah, th- uh, that voice. Grimsby, I miss that voice, right? And meanwhile, Ariel is right in front of him, mm-hmm. and he's like longing for her, mm-hmm. right? There's this one scene where he's like looking out on the horizon, and he's saying, oh, "I know she's out there somewhere." Grimsby and Grimsby's like, "Maybe you could look at the woman who's right in front of you," mm-hmm. and she's literally like across the bay from him, and he his eyes are on the horizon, and she's. Like brushing her hair in the in her tower window over here, and he does. He's like not even seeing her. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious, what do you what do you make of that, Paige? Yeah, I get curious about how sometimes. Well, we talk about like reticular activating activating system where your mind is primed to find the thing that you think you're looking for, and so I think that Eric's brain was just primed to believe that the thing he really wanted was a voice, and he was so committed to that that desire that he wasn't able to see that Ariel was right in front of him and also like how much fun that they had had like going through this the whole kingdom together and he just like can't even see it yeah it's really interesting because there's this um this idea that we we face a lot which is that it's kind of challenging to notice what you have already because the way that most people are wired is to like look for the ideal to compare themselves to this ideal that exists out there. I love that he's looking at the horizon because the horizon is such a great metaphor for this ideal. Because no matter how 
far you go toward the horizon, you literally will never reach it. That's just not how the horizon works. The horizon will always be off in the distance. And the same is true of the ideal. Like no matter what you amass for yourself, no matter what you create for yourself personality-wise, ultimately at the end of the day, you will never be at your ideal because the ideal is a moving goalpost. You'll always keep from wherever you are, there's somewhere else to be. Like imagine you're, you're getting into bed and it's, you're just like in the most comfortable, you just, it's been a long day and you just like are in the most comfortable position in your bed. Yeah. But if you stay in that position for four hours, you're going to be hurting Mm. and you'll want to move. And that is just the nature of the nervous system. It's the nature of reality is that we're always on this like leading edge of creation. And so what's interesting in this like little metaphor that we have where he's like looking off to the horizon but not seeing the person that's right in front of them, I think this this is a major big time thing that happens with a lot of entrepreneurs is the curse of knowledge is what it's called. And it means that we like don't realize how hard it was to gather our skills or our knowledges so that like we un- we tend to undervalue them in the market. And so what what I think is really interesting, that's not the bias, is the undervaluing in the market, but this is something that entrepreneurs face is that like, well, the things that I'm good at or that are easy for me, they can't be that valuable because they're easy for me. They're here, they're present for me. Mm-hmm. And the things that are valuable, they have to be the things that are like hard work, right? That are out there somewhere that we have to go get. And I think this is a really interesting model that we're seeing is like when he's so focused on the horizon, so focused on what he thinks the ideal is that he wants to be with, he literally is with the person that he's looking for and doesn't know it. He can't see it because he's believing that what the value thing is, is out there somewhere, almost by definition, right? Is out there somewhere. And that opens him up to the witchcraft And it stops him from the love because he could be noticing what he already has. Mm -hmm. And so this is, I think, a really useful reminder for uh, for we entrepreneurs is to notice, like, what are those things that you you do so effortlessly, so naturally, so easily that it doesn't take hard work for you to go out there? And then how do we leverage that ability by, like, enrolling other people? Because that's what she does so well. Ariel, she's like, she's got the team. You know what I mean? Totally. Everybody's doing all these things. Yeah. I'm so glad that you brought this up because I had in my notes, I really wanted to talk about that same thing in terms of a tool that we use called the Colby A. And we use this to illustrate to our clients specifically that the things that are really easy for you that maybe so many people, they just convince themselves that those things aren't actually valuable. And they try to compel themselves to like, do all the things that are like hard and more valuable and then they end up spending a bunch of time slogging through work that they don't love and then as an entrepreneur you start hating your business so we found this assessment called Colby at the very least yeah exactly so we found this assessment called Colby A which basically helps us it gives us like a really clear way of helping our clients understand like how their natural way of being is and like what kinds of work are the kind of work that when they do them they experience a sense of like contribution and also be able to like help them see how like the things that you don't want to do like enroll somebody else like just find another right like Sebastian he just like he Sebastian knows what everybody loves conducting yeah he loves that job he loves to just tell yeah. all and he has a keen eye for like who's good at what which that in and of itself is such a valuable skill to just know who's good at what and to be able to delegate like that. And it seems like we have this story place, about... Place, place, the bass, the links on the string. <laughs> <laughs> Trout's rocking out, the blackfish she sings. He's like calling it out. That's his, that's his part of that song. Yeah, or exactly. Like, the whole song yeah. Says. yeah. 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 
Yeah, that's a really beautiful part. And also, like the, I mean, like build your team. I mean, that's another really awesome lesson here is because she because she has this core group of of allies that she's enrolled in this vision. I mean, because she, she had to enroll Sebastian, right, mm-hmm. for him to access all of those powers, because he could have been using them against her to help King Triton get her back. You know what I mean? They could have gone about solving this problem some whole other way, maybe. I mean, the contract seemed pretty unbreakable. Oh, that was another thing that I thought was really interesting, was that what Ursula used against King Triton, because he tried to break the, the contract, but that's antithetical to the nature of this king who rules by law, right? And so she used the law against him in this way, which is another example of kind of this this archetype that we're talking about, is where like somehow we, we break free from this like overarching rule of law. But anyway... She enrolls Sebastian with her force of presence, with her vision for the future, with her, like, what was alive in her. And then once she's got him on her side, now she she can access his talents as well. And this is what builds a business. This is what's really cool is that we cannot do it all on our own. If you have a vision that's big enough, you just can't do it all on your own. You you will need to enroll other people because there's just not enough time and energy in the day. Plus, you won't have the skills and all those other things. But I think this is a really cool lesson. So, uh, anything else you really want to mention as uh, before we wrap here, Paigey? No, I think those are all the those are all the big points. Awesome, yeah. So, just to kind of recap what we talked about today, uh, there's this tension between sa- safety and the laws that create that safety, the rules that we follow, and freedom and what's possible when we are free, and finding a balance between those somehow so that we can so that we can pursue our greater dreams that are necessarily going to take us going out into the unknown and facing, I mean, literally a fish out of water. That's what she is. She's like walking around on land. She has no idea what she's doing, right? She's brushing her hair with the fork at the dinner table. So to be able to like find that balance where we, we have wherever our source of safety is for her, it's her belief in herself and her network, right? And her ability to network and enroll people, right? But finding whatever that belief is in ourselves that lets us feel safe to go and do the the risky thing to go and find what we're looking for in the world. Um, enroll our friends, uh, you know, use your unique ability to put forward your vision in the best possible way. Did I miss anything? Mm -hmm. No, I think those are all the big points. Awesome. Great. Uh, cool. Well, thank you all for listening. I do want to point out that if the Colby A thing interests you, that is something that Paige does. And she is just phenomenal at helping people to not just take the assessment, but also to, uh, to understand what, the results mean and how you can implement that in your life. So if that's something that you're interested in, um, feel free to reach out through the DMs. Check us out at lucid underscore shift underscore coaching on Instagram. Thanks for listening to the show. Thanks so much for listening to the shift to freedom podcast. If you want to get the most out of your time here, think about this. What's the one thing from this episode that resonated the most for you? Asking that simple question can help anchor in your insights and remember who you want to be. If there was even a single thought in today's episode that helps you to become even 1% more free, then we are thrilled. If so, would you do us a favor? We're on a mission to spread the message of freedom and we could use your help. See, the algorithms love it when we get reviews, shares, comments, and likes, and then that helps other people like you to find the podcast and just maybe change their lives. So if you like what we're doing and you want to generate some positive karma for the day, please write us a review wherever you get your podcast love. See you next week. And in the meantime, live your freedom and love your life.